I guess in that one pulsating moment between having to do the right thing for a human being who was uh, in deep trouble and then realizing that I was running through a fine wine merchant to do so suggested to me that the excitement of a career in this business with that business uh, would keep me there for a lot longer. Welcome to Sessions, Stories from the Edge. I'm Robin Wilson, founder of Super Aura, and it's my pleasure to host business, design and culture leaders for an uncut conversation about a time they found themselves on the edge and what happened next. Welcome to Sessions. We're here today with Mike Benny, wine writer, entrepreneur, educator and disruptor. Super Aura being all about the edge, the super edge, I was interested in chatting with Mike about his work and his passion in the spaces of culture, wine, and business, and where those three areas come together, because Mike does some pretty interesting things in the world of wine, and I think has impacted culture in Australia in terms of the way that people engage with wine and other, other alcohols, of course. So welcome, Mike. Thanks for joining us today. Thank you very much for having me. Great. So let's start with an unusual question, and I think it's quite a relevant thing as we're talking to a wine person. Let's move into a sensory space for a moment. And I'd like to ask you today, if you were a flavor, what flavor would you be? <laughs> I love this question for its essence and simplicity. So I'm going to give a probably quite complex answer and one that's very self-referential apologies, but um, clove. I, I've, I always think about clove as um, something that is very overt in uh, anything that it's added into. Uh, I always think about it as something that's, I guess, polarizing at times as well. And um, in some respects, I don't like it all that often. And that's something I can say sometimes about myself in, in confidence that I'm you know, always looking to self-improve. Uh, and clove as well is, um, you know, it's not something you want to kind of digest all at once immediately. It's something that sort of needs to mellow into something um, before you get a full understanding of how it impacts what might be that full experience of a meal. Uh, and, um, you know, it looks awkward. Uh, or looks funny or looks unusual, which kind of is probably quite accurate about myself as well. Nice. Nice. That's a dimensional answer. And I can smell, I can smell it. I feel surrounded by clove now, that distinct, but beautiful sensory it's, experience. Yeah. It's a, it's a funny thing, but um, being Jewish, I don't have a great experience with Christmas, but uh, it seems to be something that's so ubiquitous as decoration and seasoning for Christmas ham. And albeit that I've done things like eat quite a bit of ham in my life, um, contrary to my cultural background, I always think that clove fucks a ham. No matter how much it looks beautiful, mm -hmm. it overwhelms the sense of what might be that purity of meat flavor you actually get. And I'm chastised for having this opinion, but I guess this is also the parable for the first question as well, is that, um, you know, polarization of um things is okay at times maybe mm. me calling it out and um i guess challenging challenging people's um traditions or norms is probably part and parcel of um the extension of the conversation around mm. flavor definitely definitely it is it really is it's so interesting i think with like flavor or any of these sort of sensory elements um, we can get very caught up on like whose opinion is right or wrong versus having this flu fluid exploratory perspective of everything can be many things all at once, aka cloves on, on ham, which is an iconic visual reference. But yeah, let's talk about really, should the cloves be in the ham? <laughs> yeah, which I think does extend, um, yeah, to the work that you do in this space, right? Asking questions about why the wine industry is the way it is and, and the way the business works and what it is that we can be doing. Um, yeah. You know, where to next, hey? Where to next? Exactly. Now, before, before we jump too much into the wine bit, uh, I wanted to ask you a question. We're pretty direct here, and this is a pretty substantial question, I know, but I want to talk a little bit more about you as a human being before we get into your professional space. And I wanted to ask you what you think matters the most to you in life. Oh, uh, look, I think, I think, Although it's probably a little bit cliched and twee, I think community does. And community is a concept for me, um, rolls in everything from, uh, you know, positive connotations of diversity. Community means, um, you know, a neighbourhood, not just the physical space you inhabit, but those that, you know, enter into your own personal neighbourhood from different reference points. 
um, I think about community as um, a, a, something that you interact with to create, uh, you know, a betterment for that environment as well. Mm-hmm. And I think that the kind of ingress and egress of learning that you get from those within a community is absolutely essential. And so while I could say things that are really beautiful, like love or, um, you know, the actual word diversity itself or mm-hmm. passion or whatever it might be, I think community is the thing that I tend to learn from the most and tend to like uh, working within as a concept for everything that I do. Mm. Nice. Yeah, that's a really beautiful space to consider. Like we, our businesses and our cultures are nothing about, without the humans and the nuances within that community, hey? Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Yeah, awesome. Okay, so I think that's a really nice jumping off point to start to talk about wine for you. And I know it's more than wine. I know it's, you know, um, item um products produced from the earth that moves through a particular process and they're generally in the liquid form I would say that's it's right. the space that you inhabit yeah um now tell me about so you know many of our listeners know that you're you know connected and, and a part of one of the founders co-founders of PNV you're a wine writer for Sydney Morning Herald through to Delicious as well as all the major mastheads across town but tell us about like wine and um that's your professional practice for you why wine why the edge of wine and when I say the edge of wine I mean pushing the types of wine. we're just going to use wine as a blanket term to kind of bring the combo in but sure thing. you know like showing the Sydney community specifically I've witnessed this um how to drink wine differently how to explore different um varietals how to understand what beverage can be about in your world like why is this your world what's it about for you Look, that's a, a great question, and the answer is going to unfortunately be lengthy and multifaceted, so apologies. <laughs> um, but I guess, first of all, my work in wine is, is defined by a lot of cultural factors uh, and then a lot of factors that, I guess, uh, interest me. And wine, as a general concept, can't be removed from things such as history, uh, geography, geology, um, the idea of people and their interaction with their environment. Uh, the idea of what flavor is um, and exploring, I guess, flavor and, and your reference points for that uh, and that kind of cultural idiom that surrounds all of that. And so to me, that was that was where the first, I guess, part sort of light bulb moments came where all those things interacted in a way that would keep you continually learning. Yeah. Um, and then I guess second of all was, uh, you know, laying a foundation stone of general knowledge in those elements and trying to apply that globally. And you've got a pretty big canon of um, classic learning to do when you start thinking about wine. But I guess it was the things on the fringe that started to really excite me. It was, it was, I guess, seeing what, as you've said quite aptly, is on the edge. And um, I guess that's where I started to morph away from uh, more traditional approaches to the wine world. And I think that started revealing I guess, more detail about people and culture. Uh, and also it started to dawn on me that there was a whole kind of language set and experience around wine that was being largely ignored for the tradition that had come for so long before it uh, in such a kind of patriarchal and structured way. And it began to uh, be a quest of mine to see what was in the fringes and margins and why that existed. and why that was relevant and I, and I think part of that then became that uh, communication around those things to a new generation of people who might appreciate that was going to be my metier and I, and I, I, I found wine at, at all places under that broad umbrella from more traditional um, right through to the very contemporary a, a very compelling thing to work in and within uh, and and my work spans from old school fine wine merchant work which was where I started first of all well actually I started driving the van and filling the fridges at a fine wine merchant before uh, taking on the more let's say suit and tie role although I never actually managed to put on a suit and tie very comfortably Uh, right through to winemaking running very contemporary large-scale festivals focusing I guess on the evolution beyond the more traditional, um, the Rootstock Sydney Festival was a, a large point in my universe, uh, focusing on sustainability and organic, um, and I guess you know, sort of essence of this fringe in winemaking and a platform, uh, right through to now PNV, which is sort of a you know a 
cultural incubator in some respects and really trying to take what the rest of my career has done with an amazing group of people who worked it and breathed life into it and give Australia a, a new reference point for how wine and various beverages work. So it's quite a broad and big amorphous massive stuff here to kind of try and get your head around. Mm. Um, but uh, my work in wine is, is I guess, all about, uh, I guess, democratising to a certain extent and also revealing and unearthing to another extent. Mm. Yeah, beautiful. That makes sense. And now with um, PNB in existence, it's this ongoing retail direct engagement with the humans, hey, that brings it into this even more tangible space than, say, the writing or the, um, um, you know, one time only or one time in, in the year for, say, a rootstock festival. This is literally every single day expanding people's knowledge and understanding of what wine and beverage can be. Like I noticed, and I guess the reason I'm so passionate and interested in this bit is because I came from fine dining and was taught about wine by some really amazing people. And I've watched the Sydney wine scene like emerge over the last 15 years and realise that there's this whole element to experiencing wine that people just don't know about. There's no way to be educated about wine, right? Like what it can actually be. You just, maybe your mum drank Chardonnay, so you drink Chardonnay or a Marlborough Savion Blanc. Like there's this whole gap and it's incredible this wine that gets poured into your glass has been hiding inside of a bottle that was then touched by humans like um as a part of that it's an incredible magical moment each time a, a wine bottle or any sort of you know um aged beverage is opened so um it, it makes sense that you found your spot in this space to be able to contribute and open up people's worlds yeah that's that's really kindly recognized um it in essence, you've, you've just nailed it. I mean, the, the idea behind PMV was to give our little local community, particularly in the inner west, a place to go and get the stuff that they were enjoying in a number of venues around Sydney. Mm. Uh, and in that was the genesis of the idea of PMV was to put a shop together that would sell that stuff. Yeah. But yeah. And, and that's, that's it in its simplest form. But you're really right in... Um, saying that part of that navigation was giving everybody a rootstock experience every single day hmm. uh, and in that creating a broad product mix but, but more importantly also having people who would be educators and storytellers who yeah. work in the place and it's funny because you can walk in and, and get a retail experience like anywhere else some days but yeah. if you ask somebody and engage in a pmv business i'm not trying to sell it to people uh, i'm just trying to explain yeah. how pmv works um Everyone serves in front of the counter. Everybody's on the floor talking to people. The engagement happens from the second you walk in. And then from there, uh, the education is sort of this kind of passive but very omnipresent thing. Yeah, for sure. And, and the idea is to, to tell the stories, to kind of reveal the backdrop of who producers are mm -hmm. or describe a place that it's grown in um, mm -hmm. or work through a, a winemaking practice that might be unfamiliar. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's sort of completely demolishes the very traditional wine merchanting stuff that has made wine so alienating mm -hmm. and almost like a foreign language to people and yeah. when you have people who look and feel very comfortable in our space and also represent a diverse element mm. of community as well mm. um it's all of a sudden again as i said before a kind of mainlining of this democratization of of wine and and mm creating a good energy around it that doesn't make people want to pull out a dictionary mm, or mm. Slap, slap the guy in the blazer with the elbow patches mm. to tell him that, you know, the, the kind of removal from reality is, is no longer acceptable. So mm. it's, a, it's, a, it's a really interesting thing. And then around all that, there is an absolute charter to educate. I mean, we, we occupy spaces that have room to do formal education Mm -hmm. And four sessions a week are occurring right now, which is quite incredible coming off the back of two years where we basically had to pull that all apart. Mm -hmm. uh, and the vigour with which people are, are trying to come and learn and, and spend some time and, and be energised about mm -hmm. all manner of drinks is, is really heartwarming and I, and I think really motivating for all of us as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, beautiful. Because people are hungry to know. There just literally aren't ways of learning about wine, um, 
It's interesting. I think there's this membrane, this really important space um, that I used to experience in restaurants, and I think it's very similar in P&B, that, like, you could read the Halliday uh, review of a particular wine, right? Though they might not all be in the Halliday <laughs> companion because you're selecting wines that aren't so mainstream. But yeah. uh, sorry, that was not a slight on James Halliday <laughs> calling the mainstream, but there's certainly a spectrum, right? But like when you walk into a P&B or when you walk into a good restaurant, it's a, it's a textured, real, understandable, sensory conversation about what you're drinking, why you're drinking, where it's from, the... The, the land upon which it was grown, the culture upon which it, it was born of, it changes it completely, right? It changes it from this rigid thing. And then what I think has happened is we have a new normal now, right? We had a normal that was in the 90s and then the 2000s, the way that we dine and the way that we consider. But this is a new normal now. Sydney has changed and Australia has changed in terms of how we understand what's possible for us to drink and how we understand drinking as an experience, there's probably more to be done with our drinking culture, just bringing it out of that sort of <laughs> wild space. But, you know, drinking as a culture, a beautiful, you know, high quality, considered, non-uptight, curious, story sharing experience, right? Like, hey, mate, I've got this. Let's try it. It's from this place. Here's what's, this is what it's all about. It's, it's an experience that I didn't used to exist and now it does because of your contribution and it's of course it's not you might like lots of amazing people in Australia have blown our um, um you know dining and, and hospitality and beverage scene out of the water so it's you know of course of course not you you're part of a, a zeitgeist and a, and a movement but mate people like you have made a tangible difference to a whole sort of cultural vertical which is you know wine and, and beverage and that's really cool it was necessary yeah and look I think um People were doing that generally themselves in some respects too. I, 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 you know, there's massive credit for the um, the landscape of the way people are consuming things. And, and I think one of my most um, enjoyable things is seeing the way that people are making decisions about their consumption through value systems that are you know, mm. intrinsically tied now to yeah. better farming practices, sustainability, yeah. Um, in Australia, an awareness of uh, Aboriginal country, you know, making a decision based on uh, where things are made, yeah. and how things are grown, mm. and how things are made. Mm. Um, and those investigations and that consciousness around location, um, plus also uh, the process of that product getting into your glass or onto your plate or whatever it might be, yeah. um, you know, the credit really goes beyond us sort of being the icing on top. I think it's 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 great that there's this consciousness and and cultural shift and it's it's not everywhere, but you can kind of see it happening in a much more mass market way in some respects as, as people sit and think about anything that they might purchase and and yeah. how you know their belief systems might work in terms of that purchase. Yeah. Uh, and I think that's 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 worked really perfectly into the um I, I guess you know broadening of the appeal of what uh, myself and others like myself um, have been doing for over a decade or more in, mm. in, the, in the space. Mm. And I'm, I'm you know, ever grateful for the way that advocates for, uh, you know, climate change or those who have worked towards, you know, bigger and broader conversations around organics and what that means, um, you know, the um, shifts towards people making conscious decisions about uh how things hit their pantry, their, their their fridge, all these things sort of play together to to create a really rich uh, environment in which conversations about beverage can now be a bit more, um, you know, a bit more broadly received and a bit more brought into the home and hearth of decision making, mm. and and that's that's been an, that's been a really wonderful thing, a really wonderful thing, and and perhaps you know, some of the work that has occurred around myself and colleagues and, and peers has been the genesis of that in the drink space. Uh, but, you know, the groundswell is is humankind, particularly younger generation humankind, and particularly actually at the other bandwidth, older generation mm. um, consumers who, uh, are, you know, are conscious and, and kind of a, a bit aware of, of how they're purchasing or how their actions might impact planet in a broader sense which sounds really twee when you're sculling a beer in a park but you know the fact that that little decision 
and then the advocacy around that decision can be really important is just fucking awesome absolutely it is yeah yeah they're inextricably intertwined the way that we live our lives is is what becomes culture which is what becomes our economy which what is what becomes our world so that micro macro that you're describing is is imperative to consider right like how any yeah. of our businesses contribute to the way the world works yeah i'm really interested in that bit that literal existence of us as professionals how we contribute to the way that the world works and to see yeah. if we can help it work a bit a bit better in our in our lifetimes um hey so like across your career not just pnv you know pnv is another good example of it but you being into things being interested in things that aren't necessarily mainstream so you don't have a guarantee that people are going to receive what you're recommending to them or the world that you're opening up for them has have, have you had to manage this sense of helping people understand what you're on about or <laughs> helping them feel comfortable to expand their horizons like yeah i guess the question i have for you is like around how you've managed your existence finding yourself within an edgy space yeah a fringy expansive setting have you ever felt that to be a challenge or your if that's your role in life to take people on a journey and expand their horizons like what do you reckon about this bit mike yeah, that's that's a really lovely question as well, and and immediately gets my brain whirring in kind of a million directions. And and I guess the uh, the short answer is is I, I feel really co- comfortable and confident that uh, agitation, um, challenging the norm. I guess putting myself in a a position that's sometimes uncomfortable. Um, arguing the point, which is you know, I think people who are close to me know that. Uh, that's probably one of my metiers. Um, and generally thinking a little bit more laterally uh, because I, I, I think that maybe I came into wine in a, in a slightly different direction. And uh, while a lot of my colleagues and peers who I admire greatly are, you know, encyclopedic and while I, I try and, and be that, uh, I, I think that my upbringing, for want of a better expression in wine, uh, which which will go to your question on the edge as well in, at some point. My, my upbringing in wine, um, you know, was was pretty wide eyed and came from a, a a bunch of experiences that I had before that were different, uh, and a realization that my friends weren't really understanding what I was doing, let alone those who were more senior to me in my life, you know, family, um, you know, older mentors and the like who was sort of saying, what are you doing? And, 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 and then it was, what are you doing working in a bottle shop? Mm. And, and I, I kept saying, it's, it, you don't understand, it's not just a bottle shop. And no one could quite understand that. And this is pre-P&V life. This is when I was at a, a, a very different place. It was a corporate fine wine merchant, but with mm. a spirit that was so very different to other fine wine merchants in the way that it um, provided frameworks for, for thinking laterally. And also really direct training in the world of wine. And, and that's everything from, uh, I sort of described earlier that I started off as a delivery driver and a, a fridge filler. And, and even the delivery driver had to learn wine at a level that was as competent as the general manager of the business because you're on the front line. And um, my boss and mentor from this place had the vision that the driver would be the person putting the boxes of wine into people's cellars who were important, mm-hmm. but that they had to be lucid and conversational was a real um, masterstroke in some respects. And that's where sort of things fell on me was, hang on, I'm just a delivery driver, you know, trying to finish off my law yep. degree. I'm at university and yet I'm being, um, you know, imbued with all this incredible um, information and, and knowledge and learning and the learning is infinite and um, that's one of the great things about wine I mean you could say it about anything you could say it about being an actuarial or you could say it about being um, a builder or whatever it might be but it just feels like there's so many facets to the learning of of wine as I referenced before you have to be very confident about your geography you have to be very confident about geology you have to be confident about weather patterns you have to be confident um about flavor you have to be confident about visceral experience and then you have to remember that and replicate it each year with something new because each season of grape growing changes in each place around the world so the matrix of knowledge is just mind-blowing and and that web to me was so incredible to look at when I sort of sat back and you know sat inside my head went 
fuck, I've just got so much to learn mm. and it will never stop. And, and I guess for a, a brain that jumps around a bit like mine and works um, at a, a, like a probably a too brisk pace at times and sometimes I'm not considered enough about what I say and do, uh, this was a pretty, pretty amazing proposition. Mm. And, and, you know, the foundation stones, to get back to your question, were, were always sort of edited by uh, my own personal reference points and, and I guess was encouraged by those around me at this place, which would never happen. I mean, I think about peripheral businesses that were operating at the time and, and um, we're talking about the early noughties here, uh, and they were still very strict and formal in terms of how you had to present yourself as somebody working wine. I mean, physically how you looked. Yeah. And, and for those who are familiar with wine people, I've sort of joked about el elbow, elbow patch blazers, um, you know, very buttoned down, conservative, patriarchal, male orientated. Um, and here's a guy running around in a pair of footy shorts, a T-shirt and a baseball cap using the same language skills. And, and I think people started to go after the first initial shock and um, after sort of dismissing what my ability might be, uh, lucky for my uh, workplace giving me so much ammunition in terms of training and knowledge that I could be quite lucid when talking about yeah. what I needed to in the right spaces. Mm -hmm. And I think that physical presence, uh, and again, sorry to, to reference how I look, uh, it's such a superficial thing, but I think it did really start that democratization process. And Ooh, no, it would, yeah. Yeah, and and it was the norms around aesthetics was so hardcore. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was that was it. I, I remember really faithfully digging into my at university. Uh, you know, at the uh, you, you first year or second year, I did a one class that was kind of a random subject, but I thought it was interesting in semiotics. Mm -hmm. And uh, I remember sort of looking myself up and down and saying, "What do you look like, and how do you present yourself to people?" And, and I've changed absolutely zero in that last twenty years. And very, much, I dress like an adult baby. I, I, I joke quite a lot. Um, and um, and I think that was that was sort of the, kind of one of the foundation stones in being able to change language around wine and, and people listening because uh, I would challenge those more senior. I challenge those with uh, the conservative approaches and. I think in some respects I became a, a bit of a totem for giving other people faith that just being yourself in an industry that had so many conventions mm. was okay. And again, I don't mean to um, blow my own horn. This is just simply something that uh, I saw sort of, um, you know, moving fluidly around me was just people beginning to just be okay with being themselves and think differently about things. And, mm. and at the same time, it was, I think being in Sydney, there is an incredible support network of people who felt that there was a need for some change mm. and felt there was a need for uh, a bit of a, a, a movement that would support diversity in an industry that traditionally had very, very little of that. And yeah. uh, me being confident and vocal and, and having a reasonable profile building was, I guess, part of the um, part of the the groundswell that has taken us to where wine is mm. way more interesting and way more engaging and yeah. way more open weave to people than it has been in kind of the history of Australia in many respects. Yeah, yeah, it really is a new era for sure. Um, it's interesting, you know, like when you tell that story, because my question for you was around the discomfort of being an edge dweller. Yeah. Like yeah. for any of us who are unusual people who help break new ground, mate, it's not easy being one of those people at all. And you often don't choose it. It's just where you find yourself in life that you have a particular lived experience or a particular passion or a particular trauma or whatever it might, might be that, you know, uh, it inspires you to contribute in a particular way and deal with the discomfort of being an edge dweller. And I was listening to your story and I was, my question was around, but where does the confidence, how do we truly be leaders in a space that isn't fully navigated? How do we know that what we're on about is valid and valuable and relevant and it will contribute to other people's worlds in a positive manner, it seems to me that that knowledge that you gained, that like classical, you know, considered traditional classical heavyweight knowledge that you gained in that role that you were describing 
probably was the linchpin for you, hey, to be able to give you a base that gave you the confidence and not not confidence in an airy fairy way, but like confident that you understand the landscape within your within which you're operating it would have helped give you that confidence to disrupt it and do things differently because you had the knowledge and it's hard to argue with solid knowledge of an industry or a, or an art form whatever it might be right like I reckon that was probably a really key point in your journey that helped give you the springboard to break down new new break down barriers because you knew the history you knew the product well right like when yeah, we talk that, about leadership, you can't just go out and be a leader, mate. You've got to earn your stripes and all the foundations beneath that leadership to know why and how you're contributing. I, I think this bit's interesting for any of us. Yeah, look, if, if that's if that's a question and, and sort of statement, you're, you're really right. I mean, for me, I felt like I needed, if I was going to be who I was, and that is um, different to others within the industry, mm. then I needed to try and be the smartest person in the room and have all the answers to everything. And so yeah, yeah. I made it my mission to and I think one thing that if if I um if if a straw poll was sort of thrown out to people in the wine community people would say um Mike works pretty hard and that yeah supplied to my learning and understanding I literally just basically did wine wine and drinks and I would be up late at night and people um would be you know, surprised to see emails from me at one or two in the morning, but I was up and I was reading and I was doing things and I was talking to people. Yeah. Um, I, you know, set myself off with the blessings of my first workplace to go and learn how to make wine because I thought if I'm going to be authoritative about wine, I must know the process. And I've done that every year since. And it now rounds out to almost 15 years that I've been doing that continuously yeah. to keep honing and learning and understanding the processes and yeah. people's in- interpretation of season and the, the raw material they get from their land. Yeah. Uh, and then around that, I, I basically, while other people were going to beach locations for their holidays or taking a trip through the capital cities of Europe, every single cent that I spent for travel was in wine regions. And by and large, largely, I self-funded that. Um, mm. I have at times taken the benefit of being an international show judge and that gets me a ticket to Europe and then mm. leveraging that so I can go and see places. But I've got to say that I guess the kind of all-consuming approach I took, albeit quite unhealthy in terms of some of my um, close and broader relationships with people and community, Mm. was the thing that I guess served me really well. And I think optically as things like social media came about, that people could see me doing that almost relentlessly uh, meant that there was almost a a way of not refuting that the education I was undertaking was pretty comprehensive. And so I think that's given me a, a really good standing to have opinion and to go into places and challenge opinion, mm. speak loudly, um, think differently. Mm. And it's been really fortunate that there's a lot of really supportive uh, festivals and really supportive, uh, you know, industry-focused conferences and um, a lot of uh, international support in terms of the way that people perceive my work. And it sounds so strange because people still will be thinking, but it's just fucking wine, and it, but it's just fucking not. And yeah, <laughs> no, there's so much more to it that um, there is. It's yeah, it's, yeah, it's and the way that it sort of linchpins a lot of conversations that are really important mm-hmm. has become, I guess, the next phase of, of mm-hmm. where work is heading mm-hmm. um, to to you know force a kind of reckoning for everything from uh, you know consideration of Aboriginal country, particularly with the fact that. A lot of the stuff that we drink is, uh, you know, planted on seeded land, is uh, yep. produced from unsustainable crops in monoculture. Yep. Uh, and, and I think that the, you know, the next phase of conversation around my work and others um, who are peers and colleagues mm. is, is trying to advance conversations around that in a meaningful way and in, in an engaged way, particularly yep. as well, not just lip service around it. Mm. So I don't want to jump too heavily into that right now, but um, I, I think that the... The, the kind of place of uh, education and experience uh, has been really f- a, a great thing for me. And, and I think a kind of myopic approach mm-hmm. to it, mm. not, notwithstanding that, you know, I have a great love of the arts and, um, you know, read voraciously of, of all kinds of things, but a lot of people do that, of course, as well. Yeah. But, but I, I think, yeah, my myopia and focus has been a great advantage uh, and also, uh, you know, luck is always something that's quite amazing. That yeah. and a bit of, uh, I, I guess the 
the ability to have great confidence in your knowledge and have no fear of uh, speaking your mind or speaking in public or mm. physically being a presence in a room, mm. uh, which is your your question so far back. <laughs> Try to get there in such a circuitous way. But I think that that level of confidence in everything that mm. um, you in everything you present yourself as is is sort of paramount. Yeah, isn't it? And it's and it's built on true integrity. Hey, like it's built on uh, like when we think about leadership and 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 being a high profile person in a space, it can so easily switch into this ego space when that's actually through actual leaders, like really great people doing great things, that's so far away from the purpose and why you're in the room. You're in the room because you're a passionate nerd who cares yeah, that's about right. this particular thing. And then you're brilliant at what you do because, yeah, it's everything that you've dedicated yourself to. Um, it's just interesting. I think success and reward and profile and contribution uh, comes from a really deep place of like, doing it because you have to do it and there's no other choice and then profile is naturally a part of it to help spread the message further it's so not to do with ego it's about vehicles um but let's ask you a question about the edge mike so now that we've explored talking about what it's you know what it's like to uh navigate the edge as an ongoing experience in your work it would be cool to hear about a time in your career that you found yourself on the edge and what happened next Look, I think it's the first time that I had to call for a Narcan shot behind a fine wine merchant that made me feel like life was a very confusing, different, exciting and thrilling place. And, uh, you know, seeing a human being at their most frailest uh, and almost ugliest and me being in a situation that was, as a young person, so far out of depth in the inner city of Sydney, and I guess in that one pulsating moment between having to do the right thing for a human being who was uh, in deep trouble and then realising that I was running through a fine wine merchant to do so suggested to me that the excitement of a career in this business with that business uh, would keep me there for a lot longer. And I know it's such a superficial thing and takes advantage of somebody who is in a really unfortunate position but I just remember so vividly thinking, what the fuck is this world that I inhabit where in one moment I'm expected to be plumb in mouth about wine and the next I'm mm. um, helping scoop up a body off the ground. Mm. Uh, and um, this, I guess, I guess that sort of inertia of excitement about the area I was working in, the place I was working in, the dichotomy between um, the expectations of tradition versus the reality of what human life would be. Uh, and as I said, it all sounds so twee, but when I, when I think about the edge, I think about, uh, yeah, this, this very complex singular moment in mm. my universe that sort of uh, thrust me into making a very strong decision about change. And I guess that's the other edge is my backstory sees me as a, a lawyer, you know, graduating from university. I was taking work in, the fine wine merchant at that stage as I thought just a simple bottle shop uh, to pursue a career in law. And uh, it was, you know, not much longer after that you know, sort of seismic moment between the, the horror and the um, sort of, you know, energy that was required to solve the situation that was at hand that I started making some pretty big decisions about my life as well, which inevitably had me, ditching my career as a, a junior lawyer and thrusting myself deeply into the world of why I'm pushing all my chips in effectively. And, mm -hmm. and so, you know, I just think about that catalytic moment of, okay. um, yeah, a, a, a sort of, you know, a vision of somebody on the edge of their life, perhaps. Mm -hmm. um, and as I said, it, it seems too Hollywood to be real and a bit kind of sugarcoated to say that it was a similar sort of thing um, as I think about the kind of flash scenes of, of that scenario um, that started being the, the rolling stone of decision-making around my universe as well. And I, and I think it's, you know, as I said, it, it seems too good to be true that, that that's the story, but that was the reality of working in uh, East Sydney in the uh, late 90s and early noughties was um, it was a pretty messy, wild, dangerous 
colourful area. And and I, I think all of that played into the hands of what I found uh, thrilling about my career in that place that became the very big foundation stone in the rest of my life. Mm. So so edge is pretty present for you. Like it, see, it sounds to me, hearing that story and your other stories, that you are drawn to a certain level of complexity, intensity, contrast, uh, yeah, they're, they're the three words I would use, I think. Yeah, would, would you say that's what it sounds like to me? If that was one of the moments, one of those edge moments where you realize, well, you had to say yes or no, right? Like that sounds to me like that was a story of this is your reality, mate. If you're saying yes to this, are you really into all of this, intermingled all at once? And you went, yeah, actually, that's yeah, I'm here for that. Yeah, and and I think um, it's interesting. You know, my, my confessional is is that I think I, I treat my life probably too. I orientate it probably too heavily towards the edge. I, you know, I deal in extremes. Um, you know, part of the job is is drinking, and I'm either not or I'm binge drinking. And uh, you know, that's a really unhealthy position to be in, and I'm really mindful of it. Mm-hmm. But but I guess uh, you know, I kind of see see that world as binary. I'm I'm uh, and and it disappoints me and it, it it makes me feel uncomfortable in some respects, particularly the heavier consumption at times that goes in and around our industry and community, mm-hmm. uh, not just myself, but for others as well. And for those that have, uh, you know, lost their way with that as well. And, and there are many, many people in that regard who have oscillated through my universe. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think about, you're right, the way that I approach my career, there's, there's times where I have definitely put myself in a position where um, you know, continuing work would have been tenuous in some places because of what I've said or done. There's uh, obviously, uh, and that's not alcohol related, that's just simply me being me. Um, you know, there's there's sort of, uh, you know, big decision moments where you decide whether you're going to be a city or a country person, particularly in the kind of wine and drinks industry as well. And mm-hmm. uh, that sort of torments my mind quite a lot that, you know, mm-hmm. in a perch in the city, can I really be authoritative and can I really be the figure that I need to be? If I'm not more connected to regional roots, mm-hmm. um, there's there's edges sort of everywhere in terms of everything that I do in my work. Uh, you know, from the decision making of simply the kind of me- mechanics of say being a wine critic. You know, when I put on my wine critic hat and I'm tasting wine, and something that I don't like, I write about, and I I'm one of the few wine critics who actually write bad reviews about wine, mm-hmm. which. Um, I'm privileged because I've got a, a space online that's sort of one of the most engaged and um, widely read uh, online wine resources. And we publish bad reviews where if you're a newspaper or a magazine, there's no room for a bad review. You simply really have to give recommendations so that consumers of that media are able to you know, get something good. Mm. And I think about the edge of, you know, I, I'm judging the labour of a group of people who have worked through a, a season of, you know, very hard, Mm, um, agricultural mm. work to then refine a product into something in a bottle yeah. and because I don't like it I've made a judgment on it I mm. um, can impact those people's lives and uh, not just financially but also mentally and physically how they feel about themselves mm. and I think about that edge once again mm-hmm. uh, because it's 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 commonplace I mean that's that's part of the, the function of my my work role mm. and and that uh, is something that I wrestle with quite a lot as well but then again, I also wrestle with the idea that I need to um, put on the hat of a person consuming my media who wants to hear what I don't like about things. And then I guess there's some of the sport in that as well, in terms of yeah. how how the argument might, and uh, un- you know how how the argument might reveal itself between myself and that producer, or the yeah. producer and their public, and or my readership as well. So there's there's, there's so many facets of my universe where the where the edge is a thing, and and. Um, you know, public forums where I sort of debunk myths about wine is always something that I feel conscious about and uncomfortable too, uh, mm-hmm. where people who feel really, uh, you know, empowered by their learning and knowledge have it sort of uh, challenged or, or sometimes even completely uh, mm, yeah. created into a myth for them yeah. and how that might make people feel as well. Mm. So it, it's, it's a really interesting thing and I, I you have to be a little bit hard uh, with all those things yeah. uh, to try and make yourself kind of move forward, I guess you'd say. Yeah. yeah. So my question for you would be, and this is the final question of the our main conversation is like, how do you think you define which way over the edge? 
Yeah. I, you know what I mean? Like how do you think you make your decisions about this new business venture or this opinion within this review? Like what is it do you think? Your, your agency, I suppose, because yeah. I'm a personal agency. What do you think is the thing inside of you, the process that says <laughs> this way? This is not easy, but this is the way we have to go. What do you reckon? How do you reckon that works for you? Yeah, look, that's a, a really wonderful question as well. That makes me sort of pause and, and soul search and continue talking while my brain catches up. And it's probably a varied answer. Like some things we just make a decision and then we get it right and it's done and some have a more methodical process, I know. And of course, intuition is part of this conversation, but um, yeah, yeah. what do you reckon for you is... Oh, look, I think... You navigate the way. Yeah, look, I think the tenets for me are, um, you know, confidence, education and determination. And I think that me continually learning, and I don't mean just learning about uh, the sort of encyclopedic nature of wine and drinks, but I think about learning most importantly is asking questions of people around you. And again, it comes back to community. Mm. And I think about the learning that I need to do from particularly uh, generational people that I don't necessarily connect with is, is really important. And I remember being belittled and talked down to by people in the wine community when I was first entering into things like judging wine shows or mm. having opinions at you know, round table wine events. And me shutting up a bit is actually probably one of my better assets these days where, you know, letting other people talk and, and having mm. a listen to, to the opinion, actually seeking out opinion. Mm. And rather than sort of overlaying my knowledge and judgment and um, giving that to people, taking into account that what I learn and my touchstones and reference points actually might be outdated. And, and I think that's yeah. another, yes. um, that's another thing that I think is sort of, you know, getting over the edge is getting over myself in some respects that I am, you know, that while I still might retain being important in the room at times, I think more important is, uh, you know, the new knowledge to be found through interaction with people. Uh, I, I, I've done my job, really well almost for you know over a decade and more leading and I don't want to not lead but I I like the idea of just being empowered a bit more by mm. cultural knowledge and community knowledge mm. and just being somebody who's challenging the encyclopedia and, and all the work that's within it yeah uh, and yeah. and then you know moving forward comfortably and confidently with mm. that as well and and you know continuing with the kind of relentlessness of Mm. my learning I think one thing that I need to get past which is somewhat different and uh is a bit again uncomfortable for me is how I feel about my inertia is that you know I, my mental health and well-being is often second bested by my need to continue to do stuff that pushes me forward and my my career forward and my thoughts and energies forward about how I want to see the wine community change yeah. and what I need to learn about it and where I need to be and I yeah. think that's that's the other vulnerability is is um, probably probably just quite simply put learning to say no. Mm, sure, that's an interesting word to use though, inertia, which says to me that yeah, you're seeking that there's a need for um, stop stopping, being able to stop and consider and reflect, not just always being in movement. That's an interesting one. Yeah, it's so I think. In order for us to be really like successful, engaged, when I say successful, I just mean existing, um, like engaged, alive, fairly fulfilled, modern human beings, like, man, our ability to synthesize and hold <laughs> contrasting uh, and contradictory parts of ourselves and our experience is so paramount, isn't it? Like that we have to be so strong and rigid about particular things. And then we have to be so, we have to be so humble and so quiet and so fluid <laughs> Oh mate, it's a it's it is a really so thing, right? To be yeah. pull the lever at just the right time. Um, yeah, it's it's an interesting one. So that was that was an interesting story to hear from you about about how the edge works for you. So what's next? What's next? What's big in your world? What's big in wine? What would you like to leave us with? What tell us about the edge to come? <laughs> Look, I think I, I, you know, as twee as it sounds, I I'd really like at some point for there to be. Uh, an awakening of the general population that the notion of wine and how it's grown and how it's made is as binary as something like free range versus cage farm eggs, that there's the same kind of uh, awareness within people who are 
making value judgments about their purchasing of beverages, not just wine, that they need to have the same consideration that they would have when they're standing in front of the egg shelf in the supermarket. Mm. And it's something that's quite hackneyed in the wine industry is that actual sort of um, conversation around the binary notions of it. But I think that if that's the way that people think about drinks, we're going to be in a better stead. Drinks, you know, flows all the way back to really poor farming practices that, uh, you know, are not helpful for the environment or healthy for growing generations, uh, not healthy for the way that, uh, our, you know, a country moves forward in terms of its consumption as well. And I just think this consciousness is something as a bigger picture that's really important. And I think that's the legacy that I'd like to leave is, is that people just think differently about their beverage consumption um, in the same capacity as people are learning much better with their food consumption, but, you know, produce or cooking or whatever it might be, uh, and apply that more broadly to beverages. It's just so interesting to me that beverages are always seen as this sort of second-class thing. For your big dinner party at home, you go to the farmer's markets, you go to the artisan butcher, you create something incredible from, you know, organic source, single source farms, and then your wine decision-making is secondary. It doesn't matter what's in that mm. glass. Mm. And, and I, th I think that sort of contrast is uh, needing to come closer together. And I, I hope that my work does that. And I think the other thing I'd like to be doing in the future is more advocacy for conversations around um, younger generation um, and diverse individuals working in wine. Uh, and also producing things in wine, be it knowledge, be it events, be it the actual physical products itself. Mm. Um, just, um, you know, kind of unlocking the doors that have been so often locked and you know, taking down the ladders and structures that have been in place for so long in wine that have kept people away from being uh, their most positive and creative selves around how they want to interpret that landscape. Mm. Um, and they're, they're quite two quite simple ambitions, I think, in some respects. Again, maybe a little twee, but they're sort of the kind of essence of, of what I like to be doing moving forward in terms of what's what's next that's big in my world. Mm. No, it's nice. It's really, it's I really see how you see wine as this vehicle or item or totem or connection point between all these other really um, uh, simultaneously important uh, areas of our world. And yeah, that conscious consumption space makes a lot of sense and wine has been waiting or beverage has been waiting for it yeah literally this is it it's funny when you start to realize oh it's I was waiting for someone to do this but I think I I am gonna have to join in and help out with doing this <laughs> right. thing yeah yeah you know with actually changing culture um yeah. cool Mike well great conversation thanks for yeah your time you too thank today. you Really good to dive deeper into the the why behind your work, and you know, wine is far more than a liquid in a glass. Um, it represents so many things, and great to have a conversation with someone who's existing in the edge, not in the mainstream, pushing forward, doing things that are unusual, uh, and finding similar people who want to exist in that edge as well, very naturally. And then and then things things change. So always good to talk about the edge with someone who's in it. Thanks. I really appreciate you taking interest. Yeah, cool. All right. Thanks, Mike. Take care.